Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. How much do you have to be impaired before you should not get behind the wheel of a car? Well, there's a variety of different levels of impairment, but today we're going to talk about blood alcohol levels and a proposal in the legislature to reduce the acceptable level of alcohol in the blood before someone starts to drive. In fact, some people say it should be zero. But what are those limits and why might we want to take a closer look at those? I have on the line Rick Collins. He is the director of the Hawaii Alcohol Policy Alliance. And Tom Chapman. He is a member of the National Transportation Safety Board. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks, Kathy. Well, it's my pleasure because certainly one of the things that I do think is very important is driving safely. Now, we have enough troubles on our road with people who are alert, awake, and there's still accidents that can happen. But certainly when you compound the effect of alcohol or other associated problems, maybe not sleeping enough, maybe being dehydrated, maybe not eating enough, and you start to look at some of the rates that we have of people that have accidents, there is a greater risk the more that somebody has had alcohol in their system with having a problem and having an accident and hurting themselves or, God forbid, hurting someone else. So, Rick, can you tell us a little bit about what the proposals are so far and whether this is something that you feel is going to potentially be passed? Sure. Yeah. So I think you said something there that's really important, Kathy, and that is that this isn't about telling people kind of how to drink um, or whether they can drink, but it's about safe streets and safe roads in our community. And I think um, you highlighted just some of the, you know, recent um, just real sad stories we've had of um, situations where, where pedestrians and um and, and passengers and drivers have been killed on our roadways recently, and some of those involving, you know, alcohol-impaired driving. Um, and so really this is about safer streets and safer roads. And so um, we're proposing uh, a nationally recommended uh, guideline, which is to reduce the blood alcohol, what they call the per se level for blood alcohol concentration for alcohol-impaired driving from 0.08 to 0.05. And um, that is in a Senate Bill 160 um, that we are uh, currently that's currently at the legislature. Um, it's passed the Senate side. It's in its final uh, committee on the House side, and we're really um, really confident. We have a lot of momentum in this session. We're really confident that um, this might be the year to actually pass this and have some safer streets in our communities. Tom, from the medical standpoint, you know one of the things that I always worry about is. Getting behind the wheel of a car, I see a lot of patients who are older. I see a lot of people who might work a night shift. These are some potential situations where they may not have the best reflexes or best reaction time. And those are just natural consequences of maybe not getting enough rest or unusual schedules or vision as we get older. I don't even like to drive at night these days because, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there and I, I don't want to have an accident. But this is really looking from a national standpoint of safety on the road. And one of the areas of concern is people who might have that effect of drinking alcohol and then putting themselves in a position where they have to get behind the wheel of a car. From your perspective, what are some of the alternatives? I mean, I'm certain as part of the NTSB, you've heard some of the statistics and you know what's going on out there. These days, there are, there's a lot of other options that maybe we didn't have 20 years ago. What might those be? 
Well, there are, and, and let me put it a little bit in context too, because we have a real crisis on our on our roads, um, uh, and it's been it's actually gotten worse these last few years. We're seeing more than forty thousand people dying on our roads every year. Forty three thousand in twenty twenty, I believe the latest numbers indicate forty six thousand people died on our roads in twenty twenty one. Uh, uh, almost a third of those deaths are alcohol-related, some, some 11,000, 12,000 people dying in alcohol-related deaths each year. That is just a tragedy, and we believe it's something that can be avoided, uh, but we have to get our arms around it. One of the things that NTSB has recommended, and actually has recommended since 2013, is reducing the blood alcohol concentration, the legal blood, blood, blood alcohol concentration, limit from 0.08 to 0.05. And and one of the reasons we think this works, and we have some some evidence now from the state of Utah, which is the one state that has done this, we think think lowering the limit to 0.05 works in part as a general deterrence. People in Utah, when they were surveyed, they were aware uh, that the law had changed. Uh, It tended to uh, help them modify their behavior. They made alternative arrangements for transportation. And we do have different alternatives these days than we did 20 years ago. We have ride share, we have cabs, we have family members, um, we have friends, and, and we have a much greater sensitivity, I think, to the dangers of drinking and driving than we did 20 or, or, or 30 years ago. Now, you mentioned that Utah is the only other state that has passed this. I'm certain other states are looking at this or will be in short order in the next couple of legislative sessions. What about the argument that, you know, the type of person who's going to do that is going to do it if they're 0.05, 0.06, 0.08, 0.10? I mean, for that particular segment of the population, is this truly a deterrent? Is this something that is is not really going to have that big of an impact on the very individuals we want to be following it the most. There's certainly a segment of the, of the population where this is, this is really uh, a, a very, very serious problem, both in terms of their impact on other people, but uh, frankly, their own health, their own well-being. But again, what we're seeing in Utah is that the 0.05 uh, limit has uh, has tended to act as a general deterrent for folks, which is frankly the majority of folks, um, who are engaging in you know, some moderate social drinking. It helps ensure that they are thinking about this, that they're sensitive to it, and that they're modifying their own behavior and staying off the road. And the statistics are, are very, very encouraging from Utah. In Utah, we saw a reduction in uh, of fatal crashes, the fatality rate, um, and and uh, a reduction in alcohol-related crashes uh, after passage of the uh, of the 0.05 limit in in that state. When did that happen? The legislation was passed in 2018. The National Highway Transportation Safety Administration tracked very closely uh, the trends um, following uh, implementation of that law uh, and. Um, prepared a report and submitted a report uh, for public um, uh, for public consumption that uh, indicates uh, the, the success of that Utah law. And all the statistics in the NHTSA report, National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, all of those statistics are pre-pandemic, so they're not skewed 
by the impact of the pandemic. And those numbers are very, very encouraging in terms of how well the Utah law has worked so far. That's interesting you bring up the pandemic. I wouldn't have thought that that would have decreased the amount. But while people were all on a stay-at-home order, I guess that that really had an impact. So these are all pre-pandemic statistics. The the NHTSA statistics are pre-pandemic. Frankly, nationwide, uh, the number of alcohol-related fatalities is up uh, since the pandemic. So that obviously is, is, is not at all encouraging. But with respect to the impact of the Utah law, it's been very encouraging in how it has helped to lower the numbers in that state. Rick, how might somebody know what their blood blood alcohol level is? I mean, for somebody, you know, I'm not a drinker. I, I really wouldn't know if I had one drink what that would do. How do you judge your level of impairment? Is there any is there any sort of way that someone would know that without truly having some type of breathalyzer or having some other type of monitoring device done at the time? Yeah, thanks, Kathy. Yeah, um, I've, ha- I've heard this before, and people say, well, should I carry a breathalyzer? And my response to that is, of course, you know, no, don't do that. One, because we don't want to encourage you. We don't want to encourage people to drink up to a certain limit, and also those breathalyzers that you're going to get, you know, uh, online or whatever are not necessarily accurate. And so what we can say, though, is that, you know, kind of the goal here is, um, as Tom was saying, just a general deterrence that we want people to separate drinking from driving. And so what we do know that happens, and and essentially why .05 has been um, considered the kind of recommended strategy to reduce alcohol-related crashes and fatalities is because we know that there's a significant level of impairment that occurs at .05. So things like um, uh, you know, small muscle control, uh, we lose focusing uh, of objects um, in, our, in our vision, um, that we have impaired judgment, that um, we have a lower level of alertness. So you know, when we have to make kind of sudden and immediate decisions when we're on roadways, um, that can be delayed um, as our blood alcohol concentration goes up. And so .05 has been set by the United Nations, the World Health Organization internationally, um, and by nationally by the Transportation Safety Board as the reasonable limit for that. And, and we even have, I think, support here locally that's important to understand. Um, we polled the state, and uh, 62% of um, those polled Hawaii voters are in support of a .05. Um, and even the world's largest brewer, Anheuser-Busch, uh, has come out to say .05 is a reasonable limit to set. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Rick Collins and Tom Chapman and talk a little bit more about what are these levels of support. And when one of the biggest breweries says we agree, that really is something we may all want to take a listen to. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we have Rick Collins in the line. He is the director of the Hawaii Alcohol Policy Alliance, and Tom Chapman. He is a member of the NTSP, and we are talking today about a proposal to decrease the amount of acceptable blood alcohol from 0.08 to 0.05 and what impact that may have on the health of the people who are all out there on the roads. Perhaps even, you know, anybody who's out there wants to make sure that they're safe, their loved ones are safe, their family members are safe. And that requires that all drivers have a level of safety that we feel comfortable with. Now, right before the break, Rick, you mentioned that there's impairment at 0.05. I mean, the kinds of things you mentioned, you can't focus on objects, you have a lower level of alertness, you know, you might not be able to have some of the small muscle control, you may not be able to avoid certain things that are happening on the road that you have to be able to react quickly to. That sounds like, you know, the reason why everybody's suggesting this lower level is because they've done some testing and they feel like medically you're even starting impairment then. That's right. That's right. Yes, you're even starting impairment at at a lower level than we thought at 0.08. And we know that at 0.05, you're seven times more likely to be in a crash um, than than if you had no alcohol. Seven times more Kathy, likely. Wow. Kathy, one of the things I find when I talk to people, too, is they don't really understand how these uh, limits work. Uh, the .08 or the .05 means that if you test at that level, you are presumed under the law to be impaired. But you can be impaired at a lower level. And in the case of some people, uh, they are impaired at a lower level. Um, and if, if, you, if you don't pass the field sobriety test or if there are other indications in terms of your driving behavior or your personal behavior that indicate impairment, you can, be, you can be charged with driving while impaired, even if you're testing at a lower level. These are, these are what are called per se limits, meaning that if you test at those levels, you are, you are assumed to be per se impaired. We like to say that impairment really does begin at the first drink. And, um, you know, the more you drink, the, the, the greater the level of impairment. And at 0.05, uh, folks, are, folks are impaired. That's a really good point that you bring up, that, you know, someone might, might be impaired at a lower level. And if that's the case, they would not be able to argue whatever traffic infractions that they're making is okay just because they might pass a breathalyzer test. It really depends on what sort of driving capacity that you have and if you've been pulled over what is it you were doing and what was going on so that's that's a really good point it's a it's a guidance level but it's not necessarily a tried and true could someone technically if they drank a lot all the time they could actually have a higher level than that and they could they could potentially be driving okay but you mentioned that at 0.05, seven times more likely to be in a crash it just doesn't sound like it's worth the risk for the average individual that you know, because we have Lyft and Uber and Rideshare and all these other options that are even plus, you know, you have just standard taxis, right? You can call those as well. It, it sounds like there really isn't a reason for people to take that chance. Well, and that's that's what we try to stress with people. Just don't take the chance. Just don't mix drinking and driving. Um, there's no need to do it in today's world. Just avoid the problem altogether, and then you don't have to worry about what your blood alcohol level is or how many drinks you can drink or how much you've had to eat. Just don't mix the two and you're safe. 
Well, and you just mentioned a couple of other areas that we we need to be careful about, and that's don't drink on an empty stomach if you're going to drink because having food in your stomach is good. Drowsy driving, which in some ways can impair you as much as drunk driving. And if you combine both of them, if you go out after work and you're tired and then you start drinking, you know, this this could be an even compound effect. Regardless of your alcohol level, it may have more of an impact because of the fact that you start off already somewhat impaired without getting enough rest. Rick, I'm curious, what are some of the other efforts that we're taking locally to try and protect people on our roads in Hawaii? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, there's been just a recent kind of outpouring um, in the news. We had recent sign-waving events on a number of the neighbor islands around safer streets. Um, and so, obviously, this point oh five is kind of front and center during the legislative session um, just because we know it works, and it doesn't cost the state a dime to implement. Um, some of the other things that we have been uh, working with is making sure that we have a lot of public awareness out there that, um, you know, don't drive impaired, and that we're backing that up with um, with the DUI checkpoints um, with local law enforcement. And so our alliance has been out there um, locally in the various counties um, supporting those and handing out um, kind of appreciation uh, bags to those folks who go through those DUI checkpoints um, and, and haven't been drinking and driving. And, been, and we've been doing that in partnership with Mothers Against Drunk Driving. So that's just been a good way to, you know, have a positive spin on it. It's important um, that we all, I think we can all agree that road safety is in the, in the interest of all of us here. It's in the interest of our tourists. It's in the interest of our children and families. And that's, that's really what this is about. Um, and it's free and it's tried and true. Tom, what's going on nationally? The NTSB is supporting this this proposal because they also want safe roads. What are some other efforts that you might know of that other states are taking a look at? Well, on, on point oh five specifically, we're very encouraged this year. We actually have five states that are considering point oh five legislation. Hawaii, Washington State, um, New York State, Connecticut, and North Carolina. Um, we're not going to get it over the finish line, I don't think, in all five states, uh, because it usually takes a, a couple of attempts to, to move something like this that has some controversy associated with it. But we're encouraged at the interest, and we're encouraged that we are making some significant progress in a couple of states, I think most notably Hawaii. Why is that? Well, Hawaii has had a little bit of a head start on this. This is, I don't know, Rick, this is what the... the, the third attempt, I think, at this, maybe the fourth attempt. Um, and it, it does, it with any legislative effort, it, 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 takes, it often takes a couple of attempts. Uh, you know, you've got you've to work at it. You've got to educate people. You've got to get people comfortable with some of their concerns. Um, and I think uh, things are just a little further along in Hawaii than they are in some of the other states. Well, that's good to hear. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Rick Collins and Tom Chapman and hear a little bit about what happens when you're in a situation where you need some help because you need a ride. What are some simple ways that people can easily access transportation options so that they can keep themselves and everyone else safe and alive? We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have Rick Collins in the line. He's the director of the Hawaii Alcohol Policy Alliance, and Tom Chapman. He is a member of the NTSB, and we're talking about ways to keep our roads safe. What if we could have a situation where we didn't have such a thing as drunk drivers or impaired drivers That would be ideal. Hawaii has an opportunity right now to be second in the nation, potentially. Utah has done it already. They have reduced the per se acceptable level of alcohol, if there ever is an acceptable level, from 0.08 to 0.05. We might be joined by Washington, New York, Connecticut, and North Carolina in an effort in this year's legislative session to reduce the allowable amount of alcohol. If someone has any alcohol and and has impaired driving that is still a serious infraction and something to be taken very seriously. But we are looking at certain levels. And if you were to find out that you were impaired in your driving and get pulled over, what level is something that would be even more concerning in addition to the fact that maybe you have done something that has been identified as, as not appropriate for the roads. Now, Tom, you mentioned that we could be one of the other states that is being that is taking on this legislative effort this year, and there are other states throughout the U.S. that have done that, that are taking it on this year, and Utah has implemented that. Now, you mentioned that you wrote a report for the National Highway Board, and that was looking at some of the reduction in the rates of crashes and other sorts of accidents with the implementation of that law pre-COVID. You said some of the information, it's very encouraging. In general, can you share with us what some of the findings on that report happened to be? Yeah, this is this wasn't our report. This was work done by the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration. Their name is similar to ours, but different agency. It's a, it's an agency within a DOT. It's a regulatory agency uh, uh, that does regulate uh, uh, issues uh, with respect to vehicles and highway safety. They uh, tracked uh, uh, the trends that... Uh, resulted uh, following passage of the Utah legislation. And what the NHTSA uh, study found was that there was a reduction in uh, the fatal crash rate in Utah, uh, the rate of accidents involving alcohol in Utah, and that there was no negative impact on, um, on tourism, on alcohol sales, on, uh, and, and frankly, there was not an increase in DUI uh, arrests either. Um, what the what the NHTSA study found was, again, that the .05 limit tends to work as a general deterrence. It makes people more sensitive to um, their behavior, and they modify their behavior. They make a plan. They call a friend. They call an Uber. They make sure that they're not running the risk of driving while impaired. So we have evidence that it works in Utah. We have five states this year that are looking at implementing a similar policy in the legislature. And, you know, you mentioned something curious. You said it didn't really impact alcohol sales. And you would think in some cases that it might, but in fact what they found in Utah is it really didn't. It just reduced the number of crashes related to alcohol. Well, and Utah is a state that's very heavily dependent on tourism, much like Hawaii, uh, it didn't have a negative impact on tourism, on the hospitality industry, on alcohol sales. Uh, didn't have a didn't have any uh, impact on uh, reduction in tax revenues, um, and yet it did have these positive impacts in terms of reducing the the fatality rates and and the crash rates in Utah. 
another excellent point. A similar state dealing with the tourism economy and how might that affect other areas that we might not think about. But I'm happy to hear that it didn't really have a negative impact on those areas. And and certainly that's something we would want to take a look at here. Rick, I imagine that that's part of the concern that people might have voiced is what if, you know, we have such significant limitations, how would that affect our visitor industry? But from what we've seen in Utah, it looks like that might not be the case. Yeah, that's right. And I think what's also important is to kind of uh, uh, kind of come out a little bit from the perspective of just our state. And uh, it sounds to us maybe like a novel idea, but it's also important to know that about 85%, maybe even 90% of our entire world is already under a 0.05 BAC, um, a BAC 0.05 or lower, I actually should say. Um, and that includes that includes things like Utah, New Zealand, um, uh, or not Utah, well, Utah, obviously, New Zealand, Australia, um, most of Europe. It includes um, most of Canada. And so we see that the majority of even the developed countries around the world are already at a 0.05. And so we're really the outliers here. Um, so I think that's also important to just note that um, we might think this is kind of a um, controversial uh, recommendation, but that really this is recommended by the U.N., it's recommended by the World Health Organization, and it's followed by the majority of the world. It's a very good point, Kathy. There are actually more than 100 countries worldwide that already have BAC limits set at 0.05 or lower. There are some countries that have a, a, a zero tolerance uh, 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 rule that applies when it comes to drinking and driving. That's a really good point. Just when I thought, hey, we're being unique, we're just catching up with the rest of the world. <laughs> and it sounds like we need to really take a look at why is our policy suggesting that it could be higher? I mean, currently it's 0.08. So Knowing what we know, knowing all the other countries that have implemented this, it really does seem like we're the outlier and we need to take a look at safety as the primary the primary reason to do this. And as you mentioned, Tom, you know, this is really to act as a general deterrent, that it's not necessarily just that any alcohol is going to be safe or that, you know, a small amount is okay if you're below 0.05. It's really to say, you know, and have a plan B have a designated driver, have a plan to get home in some other fashion. You know, Rick, every year I sort of hear about Tipsy Toe, a couple of the different programs that are out there right around, you know, New Year's celebration. And they say, if you have a problem, call us. We'll help get you a ride. So there's certainly an effort among folks during holiday celebration to make sure that people get home safely and that they're not putting themselves or other people at risk on the roads. Those are things that might happen under special occasions do we need to consider, I mean, hopefully we don't, having some of those things available even just during the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, I think I think exactly what you said. These are good alternatives. I think we do have, you know, some of those ride shares that we can now access, uh, at least in most parts of our state, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. And so I think that makes alternative rides much more accessible and available to our general community. Um, and then we have, you know, friends, neighbors, families. Um, I, w- I was just at a uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving event commemorating their uh, memorial at Kaka'ako last week. And a mother uh, simply said, you know, I just wish uh, they had called to let me know. I might have been upset, but you know what? That we would have had a second chance at life. And we just didn't have a second chance because, you know, someone didn't call to, to have someone drive them home. Um, and so, you know, this is, I, I think, I think, you know, we're all desperate for ways to save lives on our roadways. 
you know, I'm confident that lawmakers are mindful of that um, and that they're looking for ways to save lives on our roads. We think this is a good strategy. Um, it's free. It doesn't cost a dime to implement, and it's proven to work. Well, and Tom, as you mentioned, the rest of the world is already doing this. The majority of the developed world has already implemented this particular type of level of per se alcohol allowability in some areas even stricter than that. Well, we have work to do, and and frankly, we're very encouraged by what we're seeing in Hawaii. Frankly, I want to make sure we applaud the Hawaii lawmakers that are leading this effort. It it, it takes real boldness to, to step out on an issue like this because there is some controversy involved. All right. Well, you know, when the World Health Organization says we have to take a look at the limits, that's that's when my ears perk up because that's a health issue. And this certainly does impact the health of anybody who happens to be, unfortunately, a victim of an accident where alcohol is involved. All right. I want to thank both of you this evening for joining me today on The Body Show. That's Rick Collins, director of the Hawaii Alcohol Policy Alliance, and Tom Chapman calling in from the mainland, member of the NTSB. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week here on The Body Show. Thank you.